0: take a seat and at this uh, juncture I would invite you to turn with me to to Acts, that portion of scripture we've just read, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and uh, we'll be looking from the beginning of the chapter. Well, as we set out into a new year, okay, we are at the same time going to launch into a new sermon series, a new sermon series In the book of Acts. Acts. A wonderful book. It is a book that deals with mission. It is a book that deals with what we, you and I, should be doing as Christians in the year 2014. So a sermon series in the book of Acts. And this morning, the intention is really just to look at Acts chapter 1 and to consider four things. So we're going to look at those verses that we read together, Acts 1 to, what was it, verse 11. And we're going to think about four things that we see in that reasonably short portion of Scripture. So, I suggest... That we jump in immediately and let's consider the first thing that we see here, the first point this morning, and that is simply the preface to the book. Okay? Let's consider the preface to the book. Now, some books that you buy, whether that be going into Waterstones or or on Amazon, some books, some novels you buy, they have ridiculously eh, long introductions Don't these incredibly long prefaces? I think it was um, the chap G.K. Chesterton who said about Chesterton said about George Bernard Shaw that, regardless of how short uh, George Bernard Shaw's plays were, that he was always capable of having what did he say? uh, A long-winded and elaborate introduction or preface to the plays. I'll tell you this, that's the opposite of what we see in the book of Acts, isn't it? Because what we've got here is just a very, very short introduction, a really, really short preface to the book of only two verses. Okay? Short introduction. You see, despite that, what the author manages to do is he manages in just a few words to tell us an awful lot about the book of Acts. So what are we told, friends, in the preface? What are we told? Well, if you've got your Bibles open in front of you, do you see what the first few words of the book are? Do you see them? Just have a look at the first few words. It says, in my former book. In my former book. Now, I'm sure you think possibly that's kind of a strange way to begin a book. It's kind of a weird opening to a book. In my former book. What's that about? Well, you see, the book of Acts. Let's get this right. The book of Acts is the second part of a two-part work. I'll say that again just so that we get this right. The book of Acts... Is the second part of a two-part work. Now, I was sort of, I was uh, walking about my study for ages, trying to think of an illustration of that, you know? The second part of a two-part work, what? And then it sort of hit me smack-bang in the face, Andy, you fool. What about the Bible? You know? Because what have you got with the Bible? You've got one work, you've got one book, you've got one volume, but in some ways, Again, kind in of two parts, right? One book, but with an Old Testament and a New Testament. Well, that's what we've got really with Acts. Acts is kind of the equivalent of the the, the New Testament, isn't it? It's the second part of a two-part work. Okay, so we understand that. But then that must raise a question in our minds, doesn't it? We see the Acts is the second part of a two-part work. Well, that's fine, but of course, what's the first part? If Acts is the second part, what is the first part? Okay, again, I would ask you, eyes down to the text, and just have a look at what the next word of the preface is. Do you see what the next word is? In my former book, Theophilus. In my former book, theophilus so who's who's this guy here who's theophilus cracking name some say it's the theophilus name in the bible theophilus but who is he i'll tell you what do me a favor please if you would quickly just pick up your bibles and turn with me to the opening of luke's gospel go on do that with me please just look to the to the 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 first chapter the first few verses of Luke's gospel Luke's gospel Have you got it there beginning of Luke's gospel I'm just going to read verse 3 so follow me on it just scan verse 3 it says therefore this is Luke speaking therefore since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning it seemed good also to me to write a, an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. There he is again. So do you see it? I mean, it's surely it's sort of coming together for us a wee bit here, isn't it? Because friends, what we're seeing is that Luke, the disciple of Jesus Christ, Luke the doctor, Luke the, the physician, he is written for this guy, Theophilus, Firstly, an account of Jesus' earthly ministry in his gospel. That's what he's done. And then, secondly, what Luke has done for Theophilus is he's followed up this gospel with a second work, with a sort of selected history of the early church. So we're seeing it, aren't we? This is a two-part work. We've got the gospel of Luke on one hand, And then he follows that up with what we've got here with the book of Acts. We're getting it. Okay. But I'll tell you this, before we move on, we've really got to look at one other word in the preface. So very quickly get back to Acts, please, in your Bibles. Go back to Acts chapter 1. And then please notice the word, BEGAN. BEGAN. Because Luke says, look at the preface. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So what is he saying there? Well, do you see it? What Luke is saying is that in the first Volume in his gospel Luke wrote about what Jesus started to do he wrote in the gospel about the work that Jesus began to do but here in the second volume what we've got in Acts is the continuation of that work we've got the carrying on of that work I mean you see it it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of rational, logical isn't it if Jesus is said to begin something Then there's an implication. If he began something, the implication is that he carried on that work. You see, folks, despite this great ascension to heaven that we read about in in chapter 1, despite the ascension to heaven, Acts is a book about Jesus continuing to work. Acts is a book... About Jesus fulfilling that, that, that promise he made when he said, I will build my church. In Acts, we see Jesus Christ continue to work in, in power. And I'll tell you this for nothing this morning. I think that that should make us incredibly excited as Christians today. We should be excited as we consider the Book of Acts. Why should Acts excite us? Because, as one commentator says, there is no conclusion to the Book of Acts. See, the, the, the Book of Acts—it doesn't have a proper end. You see, the the Christ that that began his work, the Christ that that continued his work, that is the same Christ who is continuing now. He continues to work even now. And that's wonderful. That should excite us this morning as Christians. The power that we are going to read about, the power that we're going to read about in the next few weeks, the power we'll read about in the next few months in the pages of Acts, That is the same power that is available in our church in 2014. And that should fill us with hope as we go into this new year. So we see Christ continue his work. We see the preface to this book. Let's move on. And let's consider, secondly, the preface we've seen. Let's consider the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, we have um, talked quite a lot um, in the past in our sermons about the idea of a TV recap. Haven't we? You know that idea that you're watching a new episode of a TV series? and uh, at the very beginning you get a sort of review or a recap of the previous episode or episodes you know that idea previously on 24 or previously on ER well after Luke has given us his introduction to the book but before he goes into any sort of new material in Acts that's exactly what Luke does here do you see it? Luke gives us a sort of review. Luke gives us a recap of what Jesus did in the time between his resurrection from the dead and his ascension to glory. I'll say that again so that we get it. Luke gives us here a review of what Jesus did between his resurrection from the dead And his ascension to glory. A review, a recap. And he says two things. Points out two things. Firstly, he tells us that between the resurrection and the ascension, Jesus gave what Luke calls convincing proofs that he was risen from the dead. Did you see that? In in verse 3, Luke says that after he rose from the dead... That Jesus showed himself. That after he, he rose from the dead, that, that Jesus Christ gave convincing proofs. Now do you see what Luke is saying there? You now people will tell you as a Christian that your faith is foundationless. Won't they? I mean you hear that said about Christianity, that it is a blind faith. But it's not. Between the resurrection and the ascension, Jesus Christ showed himself. He gave convincing proofs. He showed himself to hundreds of people. Hundreds and hundreds of people. Sometimes just individually, one and one. Sometimes, imagine a room this size, jam-packed with people. And Christ, the risen Christ, appears, his resurrected body. Jesus Christ gave convincing proofs. That's the first thing. But it is the second thing that Jesus Christ did between his resurrection and the ascension that we really need to look at. Because Luke tells us, not only did Jesus give proof, Jesus also gave commands to his people. And there's one precise command that Luke wants us to see here. Look at it in verse 4. Do you see this precise command? Jesus says to his disciples, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my Father promised. Now, ask yourself, what is that? What's that about? What is this gift that Jesus is speaking of? Well, this gift is the gift that the Father promised in the Old Testament. Joel chapter 2, when he says, I will pour out my Holy Spirit. It is the gift that John the Baptist spoke of when he said, I baptize with water, but one is coming after me who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. It's the gift that Jesus spoke about in his earthly ministry time and time again. What we've got here, friends, is a great anticipation of the next chapter of Acts. We've got a great anticipation of Pentecost when Jesus Christ is going to pour out upon his church the very means by which he will continue to work. An anticipation of Christ pouring out on his people the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. And friends, just as in the coming weeks, we are going to see how the the Holy Spirit is absolutely integral to everything that takes place in the book of Acts. So i tell you this. Today, we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is absolutely integral to everything about our church in 2014. You see regardless of what we plan to do in the next few months, regardless of whether we embark upon evangelistic talks or Christianity-explored courses, what else? Individual evangelism, a push to reach out to the Barbican with the gospel, regardless of what we try and do or want to do, one thing is absolutely clear unless the Holy Spirit is in that from the beginning and all the way through, all of those things are a total and utter waste of our time. They are vacant. They are absolutely pointless. And yes, it might be the case that like the disciples here, we have to wait. That we have to wait to see an outpouring of the power of the Holy Spirit. But even if we have to wait, we mustn't lose hope. Because I ask you this. Think about this. Where were the disciples asked to wait? You see it? They were asked to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. Jerusalem! I mean, surely, at this time, the spiritually hardest place on earth. I mean, this was the place that has just executed the Lord Jesus Christ. But you see, friends, we mustn't lose hope. If God can pour out his Holy Spirit in Jerusalem, well, he can surely pour out his Holy Spirit in the city of London, regardless Of how cold we might think it is to the gospel. What we see in Acts is that Christ continues. He continues and continues his work. And he does so through the gift. This gift of the Holy Spirit of God. So we see the preface to the book. We see the promise of the Holy Spirit. I want us to consider thirdly. The perplexity of the disciples. Okay? The the perplexity of the disciples. Now, I'm sure we could all cite daft questions that we have been asked over the years. Right? We've all, if we were to think about it, I'm sure we could think of uh, stupid questions that we have asked, or silly questions that we have been asked. And I saw a stotting example of that this week on uh, the website yahoo answers i don't know if you've been on yahoo answers but there are some beautiful questions on that someone this week had asked this to the world wide web okay they genuinely had asked this they said i have heard that if you rub your belly really really hard for a long time that it is a very effective way of losing weight. Is this true? And uh, you have to think, what sort of a a numpty wonders that? And then what sort of a fool would then ask the world this on the internet? It is a very daft, daft question. But I ask you, is that what we've got here in Acts chapter 1? Because you see, the disciples get together they gather together as they're supposed to do and they are confronted with the risen christ and what do they do look in verse six they ask jesus a question and it is a question that john calvin says a question that contains as many errors as there are words they ask jesus lord Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Or are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So that is a daft question. Why? Why is it such a foolish question? Well, firstly, put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They should surely be at this point worshipping Jesus. You know, they should be... (laughs) Marveling at the, the incredible nature of the resurrection, but what do we find them doing? What are they doing instead of worshiping Christ? And instead of being amazed by the resurrection, they're worried about timings, aren't they? They're worried about time. Look at it. They, they ask, "Lord, is it now? Is it now that things are going to happen? Is it, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to work?" and How does Jesus respond? Now look at it. Because this is a word that is important for this congregation. As much as it was important then. Because Jesus says to them effectively. My beloved people. My people. Don't be worried. About timing. Will you please not be worried about apocalyptic prediction. Don't concern yourselves with that. Do not worry about it. That is the concern of the Father and he alone. So you see it? They make the mistake of talking about timings, but there's more mistakes. Because look, they say, Lord, are you at this time, and then look at the next bit, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you, at this time, going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It almost makes you laugh, doesn't it? And it's a kind of incredible question in some ways. You know, they're in the presence of the resurrected Christ. They can see him. They are speaking to Jesus. They've followed him for years and they've heard him teach. And they've seen him heal people. They've seen him raise people life. He's been raised himself. And what do they think? They think that his mission is just to kick the Romans out and make Israel a great country again. That's what they think his, his, his mission is all about. And then how does he respond? How does Jesus respond to that error? Look at the second half of verse 8. Again, he sort of basically says to them, guys, will you please just lift up your eyes for a moment? Will you please understand that the, the purposes of God, they're not small, they're not insignificant. This isn't about politics. This isn't about nationalistic restoration. This is about the gospel. And this is about a spiritual kingdom going where? Do you see it? To Jerusalem, to all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This isn't about politics. This is about the gospel going global. And then I think there's one last subtle mistake they make as well. I mean, it's subtle, this mistake in this question. But I think it's there. Because the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Lord, are you going to do this? But you see, I think in Jesus' response, he kind of turns that on his head, doesn't he? I mean, yeah, I, I, we've seen that, yes, Jesus continues to work and acts. We see that, that he does that continued work through the Holy Spirit. But I think here we see the other means of working. Because the disciples say, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom? And he says, well, yeah, but actually it is you who is going to be working too. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I tell you this. I wonder, what what date is it? You know, fifth of January. I wonder, as this congregation goes into two thousand and fourteen, is that what we are thinking about? I mean, are we even considering this stuff? You know, as we're thinking about these next twelve months. What's your priority? I mean, is it a case you get the calendar out and think, right, traveling and holiday dates? Is that it? Come on. Is it, you know, problems with work? Thinking about work for the future, new job, change of job, promotions? Is it about your relationships? Is it about your family? Or are you seeing that in the new year, Christ has decreed that he is going to be working. Christ has decreed that he is going to be working through the Holy Spirit. But he has decreed that we, this must be done in partnership with us. In partnership with you. That this new year must be about you testifying to Jesus Christ wherever he has put you. Now, Is that really a priority of your heart? Is it? Well, it must be because we're reading here in Acts chapter 1 that Christ says to his church, he says to us in this room, to his people, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So the perplexity of the disciples. Okay, let's just pause briefly. What have we seen today, this morning? We saw the preface. That Jesus Christ continues to work. We've seen the promise that Jesus Christ continues to work through his Holy Spirit. We've seen the perplexity that Jesus Christ continues to work through his Holy Spirit in combination with his people. Now, we close with just a word on a fourth thing. And that is the propulsion of the second coming. The propulsion of the second coming. Because I think here we see in Acts chapter 1, the motivation that scripture gives us for that work of mission to the world. The motivation that we've got to go out there. So where are we? Well, we've seen the the disciples. They're with Jesus and they're asking this, this, this daft, foolish question. But then, what happens? Then... The miraculous happens, doesn't it? Because then Jesus Christ ascends into glory, doesn't he? Verse 9. Now picture it if you can. You know, before the disciples are there, they gathered as a group. And before their very eyes, you can see it. And in this cloud of God's glory, Jesus Christ is lifted up. He is taken up into the sky. He's taken up into heaven. But what I want to close with is the row. I want to close with the rebuke that the disciples get from these two angels that appear on the scene. Now, did you see it? Did you see the row that they get? Jesus is taken up into heaven. The, The angels appear on the scene and they say to the disciples, verse 11, look at it. Men of Galilee, why are you, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Why do you stand here looking into the sky? Do you see what they're saying? Do you see the essence of what they're saying? The angels say to the disciples, guys, you've just received a command from Almighty God. You have received a command to go and tell people about Jesus. Everyone you meet, go and tell them about Jesus Christ. Why are you standing still? Why are you staring into space? You've got a job to do. Go and do it. And confronted with that, Surely it's obvious the question that, that we have got to ask ourselves in this room this morning. We've got to ask ourselves, you know, are, are, are we sky gazers? Are we heaven gazers rather than witnesses for Jesus Christ? Are you a sky gazer rather than a witness for Jesus Christ? You know, are we maybe people who talk spiritually, we talk a good spiritual talk are we maybe people who genuinely are looking forward to heaven and the great things that will be ours there but on earth we are just standing still is our witness is your witness stationary are you just staring into space when it comes to evangelism rather than talking to people about jesus christ is that you well if so see here why this must not be the case okay because this rebuke this row that they get from the angels it doesn't end there does it because the the angels they say to him look why do you stand there looking into the the sky and then what do they say next how does it end they say This same Jesus, this same Jesus will come back in the same way that you have seen him go. Friends, do you see what the angels are saying? That we must not gaze into space as Christians. Because Jesus Christ is returning. He's coming back. And this must propel us into action. Between the ascension and the parousia, you know, that second coming of Jesus Christ, Jesus has given us a job to do. He has tasked us with telling others about Jesus Christ. And so I stand here this morning and I plead with you at the start of a new year. LCPC, we need to change our habits. Because the time that we have got is so, so limited. This new year, let us fix our eyes on the second coming of Jesus Christ, okay? And let's all of us, let's study together the book, the wonderful book of Acts. Let's do that. But let us also tell other people. Let's speak to people about the good news. The good news of salvation that is available in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.